2 Kings. And again, I, I trust it's been a blessing for you. I know it sure has been for me. Now, years ago, I, one of my sons getting to the age where he's hearing, you know, certain words and know that we take certain words differently and he was kind of playing with that, a play on words. Like, for instance, the word bad. Now, when I was growing up a teenager, bad was cool. You go, oh, yeah, that's bad, you know. And so he learned of that. And so he would say things like, oh, that's bad. No, but I mean bad good, not, not bad bad. I mean bad good. And so uh, we, all, we always tease him about that, and whenever we say the word bad, we clarify it, whether it was bad, bad, or bad, good. Well, there's sort of something like that going on with this sermon tonight. I've entitled it, Ammon Followed Evil of Evil Good. Now, if you've been studying and been following along in our study of kings, you know that I have been saying a king can be one of, well, several options. He can either be good when he starts out and evil, so he's good evil, or he can be evil and then be evil. So he's evil, evil. There's those who are evil, good, but there's only a few who are good, good. And Ammon's father was Hezekiah. Or I'm sorry, was, was uh, Manasseh. His grandfather was Hezekiah, who was a good, good king. He began good and he finished good. Now, his father was Manasseh, who was an evil, good king. He began evil and probably as evil as you can get, yet he repented in the end, and so he was good. So now if you're, if you're following all of this and you're going to say, well, what is the influence here? The answer is I have no clue. I have no clue how one generation affects another. We're going to take a look at that a little later, and we're going to see that, you know, I think it's the Lord working in the heart, and I think it's the individual who chooses the Lord, regardless of where his father was. As it is, Ammon followed the evil of his evil side of his father. He didn't choose the good, the repentance, he chose the evil. But we're going to see another king. Before this is over, because they don't spend a lot of time with Ammon, we're going to look at Josiah, and Josiah is Ammon's son, and he really is going to be a good, good king. So before we go any further, let me just show you what we're going to do. And by the way, this is in both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Um, there's, there's not a whole lot of detail that we need to go back and forth, but we, we will spend a little time in each. Um, we're going to talk about Ammon's reign. Ammon did evil. And it's kind of, it's kind of uh, being repetitive, isn't it? Ammon did evil. Ammon's death. 
and then Josiah's great revival. By the way, those of us who studied the book of Jeremiah together, we remember Josiah. Josiah was one of the best kings out of the last five kings before the Babylonians take them into captivity. So he was a breath of fresh air. But I have to say one very sad thing. It didn't matter. What Manasseh did, breaking the camel's back, so to speak, the Lord said, my wrath is coming. Judah will be taken into captivity. I don't care that Manasseh repented. It doesn't matter that Josiah is going to be good, good. That's going to happen. We see that not only in Kings, but also in the prophet Jeremiah. So that's where we are this evening. And before we go any further, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Kings. Lord, there is something new in it. Every time we study, it is also repetitive. Oh God, let our lives never be repetitive in the sense of doing good and then falling, living for the Lord and then not living for the Lord. Let us be, Father, Good, good. Not in our own strength or our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we'll thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 21, we're not out of chapter 21 as of yet. All right, so we're going to cover verses 19 through 26. But before we do, before we read those verses, I, I want to talk about a review. Again, it's been so helpful for me. So we've talked about Manasseh. So we, there was Hezekiah, the good, good king, then Manasseh, the evil, good king. And you wonder how he was even evil when he had such a good father. But then we have Manasseh, who was evil good, and then we're going to have Ammon. But Manasseh was more wicked than the nations. That's how bad he was, that even pagan kings weren't as bad as him. And the final straw was about to, to hit the camel's back, but it was a heavy straw. It was a lot of sin that even the other nations didn't do it. And then it came. Jerusalem would be wiped out. That came by a prophecy. Judah will come into the hands of the enemy, just like Assyria. Manasseh paid no attention. The Lord allowed the Assyrians, who were the power at that time, but it's going to start changing through the time that Josiah is king. It's going to change from Assyrian power to Babylonian power. But the Assyrians got a hold of Manasseh. And he repented, and he prayed to the Lord. And we could say, well, he just repented because he just wanted to get out of jail. Well, I don't think so. He literally did repent, and he pleaded with the Lord. The Lord saw his heart, heard his prayer, answered his prayer, delivered him from Assyria, brought him back to Jerusalem, and he continued to be the king. Now, isn't true repentance shown by your actions? Yes, and that's exactly what he did. He fortified Jerusalem. He removed the idols that he set up. He set up the Lord's altar 
where he had pushed the Lord's altar back and put in an altar to these false gods. Now, sadly, even though he started a reform, the people still sacrificed to the idols. Well, when he died, he was buried in the garden of his house. Um, he was not buried with the other kings because he wasn't that good. Well, it's at this point his son takes over, Ammon. Ammon is going to reign then. Now, just before we, before we go any further, I, I, I did look up some of the verses that talk about Manasseh. So if you're ever wondering what was the linchpin that caused the final straw for God to say, that's it, it was Manasseh. So before we move on, let's just quickly turn to 2 Kings 21, verses 11 through 15. This is where God gives this uh, prophecy. And 11 through 15, verse 11 says, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, having done wickedly more than all the Amorites did who were before him, and also had made Judah sin with idols, therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. He says, I will stretch over Jerusalem. And he says, I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. What a picture. But remember, he is talking about Jerusalem here, his holy city, not only David's holy city, but God's holy city, to which he put his presence there in the uh, Ark of the Covenant in Solomon's temple. Verse 14, I will abandon the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. That's captivity. And they will become as plunder and spoil to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have been provoking me to anger since the day their fathers came from Egypt even to this day. So just in case you're wondering how long he was being long-suffering, it was a long, long time since he delivered them out of Egypt. He was telling them, but they provoked him. He would forgive them as they would repent. And then this cycle would go over and over. Now, you don't have to turn there, but we're going to see in chapter, this chapter we're studying, um, uh, in chapter 23, eventually we'll study that, 23, 26, says, However, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger burned against Judah because of all the provocations with Manasseh had provoked him. We're going to see it in chapter 24. How'd you like to be mentioned in the Bible more than once as the guy who brought the wrath of God? Surely at the command of the Lord, it came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. And then it's not wasted upon Jeremiah, whose, whose ministry is around this time. He says, Jeremiah 15, 4, I will make them an object of horror among all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, 
the son of who? Hezekiah, the good, good king, the king of Judah for what he did in Jerusalem. So he repented. God forgave him. God delivered him personally, but never rolled back the wrath that's going to come. So when we hit Josiah, we're five kings away from it. All right. Now, Ammon takes over. Look at verse 19. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 19. It says, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jotba. Well, let's just go back that he was 22 years old. Now, let me, let me just say something here. As I be, was studying tonight, this is what I was thinking about, the influence and influences. Now, we can be an influence and we are influences. But sometimes, regardless of the influence that a person gives, the outcome is different. It's a person themselves who chooses whether to follow the Lord or not. I, I just kept thinking about this. He's 22 years old. He's not a kid. He saw, yes, the evil that his father did, but he also saw his father's repentance. Manasseh truly repented, got rid of the idols, talked about his deliverance. I mean, even his son would have known that his dad was in Assyria in jail because they captured him. But how did he get home? The Lord delivered him. And if, if you can imagine someone who lived a life of debauchery comes to Christ and now is changed and they don't talk at all like they used to. Well, that's kind of what we had. And, and it, it had no effect on Ammon whatsoever. So Ammon chose to follow the evil of the evil good king Manasseh. Now, it mentions his mother there. And, and we've been seeing that the mothers have been mentioned. So as we're looking at this, this comes into play of this survey of influence. So, you know, Hezekiah was the good, good king, but Ammon ended up doing evil. And Hezekiah is dead, but Ammon's mother is still alive. Was she the one who influenced him for evil? At this point, it's beyond our knowledge. We, we just don't know. It could be that the mothers are just mentioned because they're the queen. The mothers could be mentioned because maybe, in fact, they had a voice in politics. It could be, in fact, that they were famous and honored. Um, and, and most likely, there was an influence. We just don't know if the influence was bad. I mean, bad good or good, good, good. We don't know. But what it does say about her, uh, one of the commentaries mentioned, this is the first time that a birthplace is given for one of the queens in the book of Kings. So there you have it. That's your tri trivia question. You know, which was the first queen to be uh, said about where she was from? And the place is Jotba. Well, too bad we're not quite sure where it is. So here's Joppa. Some think it could be Jotbaha, not a bad suggestion. And if that's the case, um, notice where the bubble is, where they think it is. It's above 
the uh, Aqaba Sea. Um, and if you notice at the very top, um, if you notice the very top, you'll see some gray area. That's the bottom of the Dead Sea, just to show you where this is at. And if you went north of the Dead Sea and then west of the Death, uh, Dead Sea, that's where Jerusalem, it would be equal with the very top part of it. So that's where she's from. It, it, it's still within the region. And this was a region that, if it's the correct place, this was the region that the Israelites camped when they were delivered from Egypt and they were making their way into the promised land. This is one of the places uh, in the wilderness that they encamped. So did they have an influence uh, upon the generation so that this woman was uh, along the lines of uh, Judaism? Maybe she was a converted uh, Jew, or maybe her family was, maybe so. But we still don't know whether she was a good influence or bad, but it doesn't matter at this point. Because the next point that we're going to see, not only did Ammon reign just for two years, and maybe it was like God said, uh-uh, uh-uh, we just went through Manasseh. Uh-uh, we're not, you're gonna, he's following Manasseh. He's following the evil part. No, maybe the Lord said, that's it. You're only going to be in there for two years. We'll find out what happens to him. But it says Ammon did evil, like so many of the kings. So if you would, look at verse 20, 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 20. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had done. So at this point, we're thinking about influence. You know, we have Manasseh who was evil, even though he later became good. But sometimes that influence is enough to pass on. If the person chooses not to serve the Lord, they Follow the evil influence. God forbid that that should happen. But now you would think, too, that, well, at the same time, he could follow the good of Manasseh. He could say, the Lord delivered him, and these, he's the true God. But he chose not to do that. So we, we see there is a responsibility upon the individual. It doesn't matter what the influence is at the end of the day. I mean, we have a responsibility to be an influence, but the person themselves doesn't... You have no excuse. Well, the influence was bad. The Lord says, um, yeah, so what? I mean, you are supposed to follow me. And so he did evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had done. Verse 21, for he walked in all the way that his father had walked and served the idols that his fathers had served and worshipped them. What a sad, sad commentary. So he went back. Now, one of the things that is a little interesting, when Manasseh destroyed the idols, maybe he didn't get to all of them. Maybe there were so many that he never destroyed all of them. The other thing is, maybe this is just saying that he went and started worshiping the idols that his father worshipped and the idols that his father made but then were destroyed. So either way, we could look at it, and there were idols there, and he worshipped them, and I believe he made more. Um, and then it's the idea, you know, is it possible to just make idols and not serve them and worship them? 
theoretically no, but you could say, okay, you know, um, we're just going to make them. But that's not what happened. And that's usually not what happens in Kings. Look, as it says, for he walked in all the ways his father had walked and served the idols that his father had served and worshiped them. He bought into it. He was, he was a, a card-carrying idol worshiper, and he was, he was doing it. Now, it is interesting. You don't have to turn there, but you can. Second Chronicles 33, 22, when it's going over the same area, said, He did evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done, and Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. So he's making sacrifices. And why did they do sacrifices to idols at that time? To appease them so they would protect them from these other nations and so that they would bless them. But there wasn't one blessing from an idol ever because there are no idols in the sense of they're not real. And yet here he is worshiping them and didn't take his father's conversion. Verse 22, let's look at that. So he forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. So again, I'm still thinking about influence here. And we do see that it's not as though Manasseh is guilt-free. There was that bad influence. Um, but, but he, so to speak, came to the Lord. There was that good influence. And I've had individuals talk to me about that, say, well, just, we weren't Christians at first, and it wasn't until later that we became Christians and our kids were growing up. So we didn't get to train them when they were young. What do we do? I always say the same thing. You just remain faithful. That's your job, your job from this point on, and to see the change in your life. Um, I, I remember seeing a change in the life of... Uh, of someone here that went home to be with the Lord a little while ago, and they had such an influence and a change in repentance when they came to Christ that her daughter didn't trust her for years. Wow, Lord, change me like that. Change me like that. So you, you can't help for the past, but you can change it by being an influence now. And let me just say, and this is where I'm going with this, but even if it was a good, good influence, there's no guarantee. It's still up to the individual. Now, we'll talk a little bit more of that. I, I don't want to misrepresent what I'm saying, but we'll talk more about that. So we see then that in verse 22, he forsook the Lord. Manasseh didn't make him forsake the Lord. He was still alive when Manasseh served the Lord. We don't know about his mother. Doesn't really matter. He forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and he did not walk in the way of the Lord. That's where it's an individual's responsibility. Ezekiel, we looked at these verses before. Ezekiel says, you know, it's not as if the father's going to eat bad grapes and the stomach of the son is going to be sour. He says, what am I saying? I'm saying that the sin of the father will not bring upon wrath on the son. Each individual that sins is responsible for their own sin. And 
we take a look at another passage in 2 Chronicles. So there's just a few little tidbits here. And it says, moreover, he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. But Ammon multiplied guilt. So I, I love the way the scriptures put it together. Yes, in the first part of his life, he was a bad, bad king. And I'm, I don't mean bad good. I mean bad, bad. But he did come around at the end, and there were true fruits of repentance. And he didn't humble himself like his father had done. And then it says that he multiplied his guilt. Now, that can mean several things. It could mean that he increased his own guiltiness, which he did anyway. Or it could mean, possibly, that he did worse than his father in such a short time, two years. Well, that's all that the scriptures tell us, and that's enough. All they have to do is compare him to his father, Manasseh, and his father Manasseh says that he did worse than all of the other kings of the other nations. And it was because of him that the Lord was going to bring Judah under punishment and take them into captivity. But what happens to Ammon? Well, let's pick it up with his death. And this is the remainder of the chapter, chapter 21 of 2 Kings, verses 23 through 36. Verse 23 says, The servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. So, it's, this is not good. This is bad. Not bad good. The bad, bad. This is not good. This is bad. Um, but it's almost understandable. It's possible of his wickedness. You know, when... When someone serves the Lord, I mean, they can struggle with their temper or whatever, but there's usually a change. But someone who doesn't know the Lord very easily can have a wicked disposition. Says that the righteous is even kind towards livestock and animals. Well, it could have been. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us this, so I'm speculating. Um, it. it it could be that he treated them so wickedly, so poorly, that they were driven to the point of violence. And we see that down through history, do, do we not? Some have said, well, maybe it's that they, these servants saw his policies, that he was evil again. It was so good living under Hezekiah and wasn't good under Manasseh, but then it got good under Manasseh. And now here... Ammon is taking him right back, and so maybe they were going to kill him because they didn't want the consequences. Well, the problem with that is there's a consequence for murder, too. So you can't defeat evil or deal with evil with evil. But that's what happened. Verse 24, Then the people of the land killed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. And we'll stop there. And so, you know, I mean, what were, did they act in a way that was sinful? Or, or does it mean that they brought about justice somehow? And, and, and that justice was taking these conspirators and killing them, killing them for their punishment. Otherwise, everyone would think 
Well, that's what we could do. We, if we don't like the king, we can kill him. Oh, wait, we did see that in the book of Kings. Nothing new. But anyway, they had a sense of justice about them, and they carried out the punishment for these conspirators. And then it says that they made Josiah his son king in his place. So Josiah becomes king. Um, after bringing about this justice, uh, he is made the new king. Well, we're not quite finished with Ammon yet. Verse 25, a very familiar paragraph in the book of Kings. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And as I've said, what we believe is that's not the book of Chronicles, that is court documents. Sometimes there isn't even anything in the book of Chronicles. And it still says that same phrase. Um, here, there are things here in Chronicles, but Chronicles is done. It's just as short as it is in Kings. In fact, Kings is probably a little longer in its information about Ammon. So we're talking about this documentation. And then verse 26, it says, He was buried in his grave in the garden of Uzzah. Now that is the same place that his father was buried in. In 2 Kings 21, 18, And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon his son became king. Now we see... And he, that's Ammon, was buried in his grave in the garden of Uzzah. And Josiah, his son, became king in his place. But in other words, they weren't going to bury him with the other kings because he wasn't worthy to be buried even with the good kings or the good evil kings or the evil good kings. There were very few good, good kings. But speaking of good, good kings... Let's look a little bit now into the next chapter and take a look at Josiah. So let me just show you real quick here. So this is the comparison between the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, has stopped. They are no more. There is no northern kingdom. Hosea was the last king, and then the Assyrians invaded. But the southern kingdom goes on, and you see there Hezekiah, you see Manasseh, and then his son Ammon, and then Josiah. And so Josiah is going to have a pretty long reign. So let's pick it up now. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now, a lot of times we've seen some difficulties with ages and, and things about the kings, and, and I believe we've been able to answer them all. Here, there is no variant between this and Second Chronicles. We don't have to deal with it. When it says he was eight, he was eight. He became king at eight. Now, again, what does that mean? Does that mean that, you know, here it is, he's king. And they say, well, king, what do you want us to do? Well, 
I want you to bring me one of those chocolate fountains and keep it going all the time. I want you to bring me some, some electronic uh, Nintendo games, PlayStation, whatever is the newest and the latest, and I want to play that. that. That's not what happens. He was under the tutelage, of course. Even at a young age, these kings were under tutelages of teachers, trainers, counselors, and probably parents, the king himself, and probably the mother. So it, he was the king, and yet he was being trained to be the king. So let me just say this now. Okay, so he's going to be good, good. Let's look at the influence. Maybe the influence came from these counselors and tutors. Maybe they were godly. And maybe his mother, who's still alive, was godly, and they influenced them. Influence is always good, and I, I believe there's always an effect from influence. But it's hard to depict it in the book of Second Kings, and we'll conclude with that, and I'll show you. So he was eight years old when he became king, and it was the people that made him king. Um, what we're going to see, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach this. We have a long way to go with Josiah, and I'm glad. Let's stay in the good, good king temperature for a while. Ah, we could just breathe the good air, but it won't last long. There's four other kings that will come after him, and they all have evil in there. Well, anyway, um, he really. I think the real conversion for him is in that history is when they happen to find the law of God. And the law of God is read. And a revival breaks out because the word of God was found and Josiah embraces it. So I'm going to have a heyday with that. That's the real, that should be the real influence. The real influence is the word of God. Let me show you, my son, my daughter. Let me show you, my grandson, my granddaughter. Let me show you not what I think, but what the Bible teaches. And I happen to think what the Bible teaches, and I hope you do too. That's going to be the real change. Now, look at verse 2. Well, I forgot the mother's name. And his mother's name was Jedi. Uh, Jadida, the daughter of Adaya of Bozka. <laughs> I think that was put in there just so that when the preacher reads it, it can trip him up, and he's going really good until he reads the mother's name, okay? But anyway, uh, again, to, to say, did she have influence or not, we really don't know. There's not a whole lot that said. We might surmise Whatever it was, whatever happened, it worked with Josiah. Now, at this point, I do want to read from 2 Chronicles. I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And we'll just begin with verse 1, but I want to read down to verse 7. You want to know why Josiah was so good, why he was good, good? 
Remember what we've said in this study that the real big sin, all sin is sin, but the real bad sin, I don't mean bad good, bad bad, the real bad sin was idolatry. That's what every king um, who participated, that's what he was punished for. What's Josiah going to do? He's going to purge Jerusalem and Judah of idols. Man, he's good. So 2 Chronicles 34.1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Remember when we said that every king that comes along is compared to David. David was a man after God's own heart. And we talked about that. It even spurned a series that I wanted to do. David, a man after God's own heart. Very first thing we said was, how can he be a man after God's own heart when he committed such grievous sin? Because he also confessed in genuine repentance. Being a person after God's own heart doesn't mean that you've never sinned or you don't sin. It just means that when you do, you confess it wholeheartedly, and then you follow the Lord wholeheartedly, and that's what Josiah was going to do. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. He just did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, so he would be 16 now, Came king when he was eight, and he was in there for eight years. He became 16. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So there's the start. Whoever influenced him to do that, you know, praise the Lord. And you know what? Ultimately, it was the Lord working in his heart. That's all we hear there. The next line says, and in the 12th year, that he's now 20. So he's been seeking the Lord since he was 16. He's now 20. And look at this. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved images, and the molten images. Wow. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to read down to verse 7 to show all that he did. But we're not done. There's a lot that we're going to read about Josiah. And we're even going to see more about this revival of him getting rid of these idols. But you almost don't have to. This is going to clear it all up. Look at verse 4. Watch what he does. They tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And the incense altars that were high above them, he chopped down. Also the Asherim, the carved images, and the molten images he broke in pieces and ground to powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali, in their surrounding ruins. He also tore down the altars and beat the Asherim and the carved images into powder and chopped down all 
the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. And we're going to stop there with the scriptures. So that's as far as we're going to read. So we've, we've now really, we, we looked at Hezekiah, who was good, good. And then his son Manasseh, unbelievably, we don't know how, he was evil, good, more evil than good, but it was bad evil. I mean bad, not good evil, bad, bad evil. And then Ammon chose to follow the evil side of his father. And so we have all of this negativity and sin. And here comes Josiah. He's going to serve the Lord. And he's going to be a good, good king. So let me kind of explain some of this, if you would. I'm not saying that influence is not effective. It is. I'm not saying you don't have to be influential because it really doesn't matter. Oh, no, it does. And I think it's us understanding not to just transfer what we believe to our kids. And again, I want to be careful about that. I mean, there's a sense in which you do. I'm going to tell you what I believe the Bible says. But then you take the Bible and you show them in the Bible. You show them in the Bible that if someone says, I don't believe that, you show them where they can take that person. You show them all of these things, and I think you even talk to them about even some of the things that the world says to denounce Christianity, and you prepare them. Now, they still have to go out on their own, and you want to pray for them, and you want to prepare them, and I think this is how you do it, and yet there's a sense in which you never know. Um, we looked at Franklin Graham last week, who um, they even did a movie about him, and I think it was called The Rebel. I mean, could you imagine having Billy Graham as your father and rebelling against the Lord? Well, he did, and the Lord got a hold of his life. And, and we think of Proverbs 22, verse 6, don't we? And I think we should. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, what we have said about that, and, and partly because of what we're learning in the book of Kings, that is not a prophecy. It's a truism. That it's mostly true. It doesn't always have to be um, true, though, in, in our dispensation, for sure. And we even see it with the kings. When it was a good, good influence, it didn't work out. So it's a truism. Um, it means that influence matters. But I think what the point is, not that you shouldn't do it, not that you shouldn't claim it, not that you should trust in it, but that you should also remember that there is a responsibility on each individual to make the right decision, to follow the Lord, to first come to the Lord. So Proverbs 22.6 tells us that. But look, if you would, with me at Proverbs 23.22. Here is an admonition not to the mother and father, but to the son of the mother and father. There's a proverb in it. 
Now, he had already said, train up a child in the way he's going to go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. So we could see somebody going away and then coming back for sure, or never going away, always following the Lord. But he also says this, listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. In other words, you're on your own now. You've grown up. This admonition is not to the parent. This admonition is to the son or the daughter. This is your responsibility. You have to choose the Lord and walk in the correct way. And again, if their heart is, is tender, um, those verses that you've built into them, that training, that influence, it works for good. It works for good. But also, let me say this. While we're talking about this, also, bad influence does work, too. It's effective. How about with Manasseh and Ammon? Now, again, you know, you can't go too far, but he did do evil in the beginning, and he showed Ammon an example. Now, Ammon didn't have to choose that, but he did. So, Influences, even evil influences, are effective. But sometimes influences aren't always effective. In other words, the person rebels. They're effective, but the person spurns it. And that comes with Hezekiah and Manasseh. You know, out of all of this, you, you could kind of see someone coming out of the evil evil and becoming good. The Lord got a hold of their life, but it's hard to see someone coming from the good, good, and then turning evil. That's what's hard. And so Hezekiah was another one of those breaths of fresh air, good, good. But his son Manasseh not only did what was evil, but so bad that the Lord said, not only are you the straw that broke the camel's back, you are the heaviest straw in this bale. And... And so this is what we have. We have all those scriptures. But there are, if you allow me to say it, and please understand, I am saying influence your kids and your grandkids all you can, and especially with the word of God. But when it comes to sometimes a bad influence on the next generation, sometimes it's good when influence doesn't always become effective. In that sense, it's not. And we see people that uh, have fathers that are alcoholics. And it doesn't always mean they're going to be alcoholics. You hear that a lot. You hear that, well, his parent was an alcoholic, so he's an alcoholic. Well, okay. But you also have individuals that said, I will never be like that. I see the consequences. I see what the word of God says. I will never be like that. So sometimes it's good when influences, bad influences, don't have an effect and of course that would be the example of Josiah Josiah did not follow Ammon who was evil evil and and what's very interesting is to see good good come out of evil evil and I think that's the work of the Lord to be sure now we have just a few minutes left, and I have a couple of things. Um, 
let's let's take a look at the chart that you have. Let's take a look at the chart. And I I, I marked the, the I believe there's mar is there markings, little arrows on that chart? There there's two, there was there was two pages of notes. There was a chart. Okay, can we hand those out? Can we hand those out? So this is the chart that I handed out in the very beginning. And also, Lee, can I get one of those just to see my markings? Um, so this is the chart that I handed out in the very beginning of our study. And this is when we started to look at, you know, the evil, evil, good, evil king. And we, we did all of that. Well, I couldn't help myself and I couldn't wait to the end of Second Kings, especially with Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amma, and, jo and Josiah. It just made me wonder about that. Okay, so you don't have the markings on it, so I copied the wrong one, but that's all right. Now notice up in the very top, On we're going to look at Judah. We're not, really, when it comes to the northern kingdom, basically they were all evil, evil. There was a few who had a little good in there, like good evil, but it went to evil pretty quickly. But only in the southern kingdom do we see the good good. And if you will, the very top, you have Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon. He was evil, evil. And then his son, Abijah, he was evil, evil. And then, I don't know how it happened, but Asa became good, good. So, this is where this idea of influence becomes a little ambiguous. Influence all you can, but sometimes it still um, behooves us that it's got to be the Lord working in hearts and the individual must make the decision for themselves. Now, if you notice below him is Jehoshaphat. Here, yes, we have a good, good influencing a good good and i wish we could say that but this is the last time good good influences another good good <laughs> and how in the world then does it go from jehoshaphat to jehoram to evil evil and then evil evil and then another evil evil and of course we can understand that we can understand that influence but then we have Joash when, oh, a little ray of hope. We have good, oh, but he was evil. Well, then Amaziah, well, okay, he learned his lesson. He was good, oh, but he was evil. Then Uzziah was good, then became evil, and then Jotham was good, good. So we have another example, the third one, who is good, good. But then look at Ahaz, his son. Evil, evil. How does that happen? So you have to say that somewhere in there is the responsibility of the son. And, you know, that's the way it could be. It could be, you know, going along with things. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. And secretly inside saying, I can't wait till I'm king and everybody better look out. That's terrible. Now, what is also amazing, Ahaz was evil, evil, and then came Hezekiah. Good, good. And again, you can't help but put the Lord's hand in there. He's the one that brings this about. And if you think about it, all of this good is 
stretching out the time before they're in captivity. So that's why they went longer than the northern kingdom. You have this good in there. And so the good stays it for a while. Now up to that point, up to that point, God had only said, if you don't follow me, you could end up in captivity until the next king, Manasseh. And even though his father was good, good, Manasseh was evil, good. And it was terrible evil. And it became the final straw for the Lord with all of his patience since he delivered them out of Egypt and they, they provoked him and provoked him and he forgave and he forgave and they provoked and he forgave. That's what you call long-suffering until Manasseh. And now there's no more. And as we read in the beginning, there are those verses that say, doesn't matter. I don't care if there's more good, good. It's too late. Doesn't matter. It's coming. He even tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, stop praying. I'm not listening. I'm not listening to your prayers to re re reverse this. So just incredible. Well, then we have, as you know, Manasseh, evil, evil, good. And then Ammon choosing the evil, evil, evil. And then an eight-year-old, good, good. And we probably, I, I think it's probably very easy to, to, to say and to speculate. You know, probably the counselors were good and the tutors was good. Probably his mother was good. Um, maybe even some of the priests were good and helpful. But you would still have to say, somewhere along the line, he embraced it. And he went with it. And when he was 16, then he began to truly, on his own, for himself, seek the Lord. That's, that's what we're after when we train our children. To seek the Lord on their own. And study the word on their own. And so, at age 20, after seeking the Lord for four years, he brings in the purge. But what I don't get at this point is if you look at the next four kings and we study them in the book of Jeremiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah, all evil, evil. All evil, evil. So this idea of influence, it is somewhat of a conundrum, somewhat of hard to depict. All I know is from that, we better do all the influencing we can. And I do say we should embrace Proverbs 22, 6. But we should also train our children to let them know that there's a responsibility there on their part. And we want them to seek the Lord and we want them to seek the word, depend upon the word. And this is why I don't like the, the deconstructionism, because they're, they're, the first thing that goes is the word. We're not seeking the word. We're seeking our own. It's what I feel. So in other words, my feelings, my culture, because what they believe, they now detect, de, uh, depict my theology. No. No. The Bible depicts our theology, and that goes against culture. That's how it's supposed to work. 
so that in the end, praise God, and we pray to God that our next generation is a good, good generation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for this brief study on Ammon and now an introduction to Josiah. And let us be, Father, let us be the kind of believers, especially ever since we've come to Christ, to, to be all out wholly devoted to you, not swerving to the left, not swerving to the right, but beginning good in our Christian life and finishing good in our Christian life. And we'll give you the praise, Lord, but we ask you for the grace to do it. And, 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 and Father, with that grace, we'll purpose to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.